0: This is What the What, and I'm Scott, and I am not scuba certified.
1: (laughs) Jeff, I am scuba certified, and I am going to Oktoberfest tomorrow.
2: I am, this is Renee, not scuba -scuba certified, and I'm not going to Oktoberfest, but October is, I'm going to go on record, the best month of the year.
0: I do like October. It's the best. There's good stuff that happens.
2: Arguably, I mean, fight me on it. I mean, it's, it's the best month. And I was born in November, so you would think, but no, October's the best.
0: Well, you're very giving to let us have the other month being the best month. <laughs> and that right. doesn't necessarily have to be your birth <laughs> month. Sure, there you so, go. <laughs> yeah, and in Tucson, I mean, we get like double great stuff because we have the all souls procession. And really, I think there's kind of a different sensibility here amongst people for even, um, I mean, Halloween's Halloween. But we have some other kind of ways of, of entering into that and thinking about it that really make this time of year in general, I think, really special.
2: Superb. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's say hello to the dead.
0: Hey, hey yeah. dead. If there's anybody dead listening.
2: Hey, dead listeners. Tell your dead friends. Spread the word. Isn't Spread that in order. November? Technically, yes.
1: And November has two holidays. Yeah. Which makes it the best month. Because that's actually three days I don't have to go to work.
2: Two holidays? What other? Uh, Veterans Day?
1: Yes. Veterans Day and Thanksgiving.
2: Fair. Fair. Isn't...
0: February? I mean, like with the presidents and, well, if you get, is Martin Luther King Day in February?
1: I think states all got to choose one. Oh, uh, okay.
2: But February is the worst month. The worst. It's
1: because just... it's Black History Month? Where are you going with this?
2: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> because it's I the think shortest. We need to explore
1: this because they
2: <laughs> okay. shortchanged Why people. Do... Because it's the shortest month of the year. Of course, they gave it to the Black people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not. Right. that's not it no renee, it's the worst
0: why do you hate black history it's,
2: it's the worst month because it's the sad like it's winter it's come around the corner you've been in the cold it's okay. just
1: we sad. all know the real reason renee hates february <laughs> and it's because that's the month of valentine's day <laughs> it's and not renee it doesn't hates, help. <laughs> renee hates happiness love, i do
2: i and very cute. curmudgeonly it's you're right. You're right. And right. Love Actually,
0: which yeah. doesn't happen in that month. But you don't like Love Actually, right? Oh,
2: it is. Someday we will talk about it in this podcast. The worst movie. It is it The is, best movie. It, oh. We I'm need to crying move. crying right we, now
0: on the inside because I'm so happy for all gotta, the people in that movie. We got to move. We, uh, uh, Moving on I to I can't beers. even speak
2: about it. <laughs>
0: hey, so we have beer cans in front of us. Um, Interestingly enough, that play right into, as if we had, people might actually listening to this think that we plan these things, and let's hope that they do. So, Jeff, why don't you talk a little bit about this
1: beer? So, this is a Belching Beavers Mexican-style lager with lime. This is out of, I think it's Oceanside, California. These are almost tall boys and um, very elaborate bottles. So...
2: I will and say one
1: of the best names ever for a for these, a brewery.
2: These are a hundred percent. Oh, it's a can. It's not a. It is a can. Yeah. Okay. Th- these are hundred percent my favorite so far.
0: That was um, you couldn't hear Anna uh, who just corrected Jeff. So and that it is actually a can that we're talking about. Yeah. In case the listening audience is confused, that's why there was that strange gap and a reassignment of a can to a bottle or a bottle to a can. And <laughs> apparently,
1: you. it's not my first can of the day. So. <laughs>
2: But it's the graphic design on this is beautiful. This is a sort of illustration. It has um, a woman in the Day of the Dead um, face paint, and it's pretty stunning. Very well done.
1: Would, would that but straight be, up my favorite? Is this a sugar skull? Is that the is that the name of this artwork?
2: Kind of sim- on similar. on
1: the theme of a sugar skull. Correct. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah but i think when it's it's just a skull when it's on your face yeah
1: so would your friend that you we were talking about off mic would she consider this cultural appropriation
2: well it depends if the people who are creating this 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 whole thing right the artwork or the the brewery itself have any sort of feet within that community like if if you are from that community you can use that art any way that you want to see fit and do it but if it's just some some two white guys sitting in there thinking it's clever, then it might be problematic. But we're not going to look too deeply into that.
0: How much of you has to be from that community? I mean, can Elizabeth Warren do like socks with um, Native American prints on them? She
1: can't do that. She can wear them.
2: I am not going to weigh in on but that. But she can't make them. I am not going
1: to weigh in on that. All right. So <laughs> now we're going to announce the best time of the okay. of the show. All right. Where the we best time. <laughs>
2: This is where some people stop listening. Unless,
1: unless it's a strawberry blonde. Tonight is kind of special.
2: What's the verdict?
1: Um, That tastes like any Mexican beer with lime in it. That's it. It is as yeah. advertised. Really? Yeah. I that like is, it. Yeah. I mean, it, this is fine. This is a perfectly acceptable beer.
0: I'm definitely a lager drinker. It's not the only thing that I drink, but I do like a lager. And that little bit of lime seems like... um it it brings me to like sitting on beaches in countries with spanish-sounding names
2: that was the way you delivered that was so flat that they i kind of like they did them using that in their advertising (laughs) them just pulling that sound bite from you and just (laughs) going to beaches with
0: i am available for
2: voice work uh, yeah for voice
0: work (laughs) And for uh, selling out to beer companies that would like to use my voice to promote their product
2: yeah promo code belching beaver right like yes
0: that, yeah all right well uh, we're all over that so um, today our epi- we're gonna call this episode Ted and um, just before we started the episode Anna, our producer on her cell phone looked up the word eponymous for us because I I'm having such a hard time pronouncing that word and she played it back and it was very sexy (laughs) and played it was
2: eponymous. Yeah. The Google voice is disturbing.
0: Yeah. yeah, if like Siri was all excited or something like that. But uh, this episode is, is like an inception episode because it's double eponymous. Because we're calling this episode of What the What Ted? And we're talking about an episode of a show called manhunt unabomber that was also episode six in that eight episode series that was also entitled ted so you're getting a double ted out of this we um uh the three of us watched it all all three of us i believe i may be the only one who watched the entire series all the way through the of the eight episodes yeah just yeah i
2: watched the designed one yeah and and the
0: two of you so you watched you watched this one episode yes right
1: and... I ended up watching about two and a half episodes because I didn't realize one episode ended. It, okay. just, it, just <laughs> kept, it just kept playing.
2: Were you half asleep?
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. So, and, there, and, and I will say that this episode, um, to me, was um, really kind of um, artistically satisfying. I mean, I thought it was really beautiful. It was kind of slow. So um, if I was to just look at it from that standpoint, you know, the, the camera work was really nice, whatever. It was a real step away from what the rest of the series had been, which was basically sort of following the story of, um, there's an actor, Sam Worthington, who played a real guy named Jim Fitzgerald, who was an FBI agent, and um, some of the other people who were who were some real people who were, uh, who were, 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 looking for the Unabomber and looking for the Unabomber over a period of a lot of years. And the, the series has a bit to do with how they actually use language to um, to sort of ferret out where he was and find him. And we're not going to really do a deep dive into that. But this episode number six called Ted is a real departure from the other. And and I, when I was watching it, I thought right away this would be a great thing for us to talk about. Um, it's probably something that that maybe not a lot of our listeners have seen because it's not necessarily like the most popular series out there. I mean, it's not The Walking Dead, it's not Game of Thrones, something like that. But probably a few people have. And this one particular episode that is such a departure, it has this almost sort of like the director Terrence Malick. I saw somebody refer to. There's a there's a letter that that Ted Kaczynski is writing. The FBI investigation is totally out of this episode, which is not true of any of the other seven episodes. The other seven episodes are really about the FBI trying to trying to find him and pin him down. And so what we come to is, um, I, I'm gonna interpret a little bit, and then I wanna kind of throw the question out to you to see what we think. Um, it seems to me that that the filmmakers or TV makers, as they were, took a break all of a sudden and said, we want you to feel a certain sense of empathy for the Unabomber. If not, if you're not just going to get mad with him, we want you to at least, you know, kind of see things from his eyes. And they, they run through some things that, that happened to him as a kid, which are not all historically accurate, but at least representational. They ran through some things. A lot of people now know that he was in this sort of Harvard psychological study, which sounds like it really probably did scar him. He was quite young when he went to college and um, he got involved in this this psychological study that was really um, sort of a, you know, now we look at it, excuse me, as like an almost deep state study, but at the time it was called MK Ultra. A lot of people have heard about that. They were behind a lot of like trying to figure out, you know, does ESP, can we use ESP on our enemies and psychological torture and things like that. So he was, um, he actually over a period of a little bit more than a year, in real life Ted Gozinski was part of one of these um, studies and sort of unwittingly um, had some pretty bad things happen to him in that.
2: Well, it was all of that said. Pretty crappy study.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. All of that said, we end up with sort of like kind of a warm, fuzzy Ted in a way, as sort of warm and fuzzy as Ted gets. And my question to to you, and I think maybe we will ferret out some more things that happened in the episode just by kind of talking here. but really like what is the responsibility of the filmmaker to be accurate? And also does the, is the filmmaker re- response? I mean, does the filmmaker need to make us feel empathy for somebody who kills, who, who ultimately ends up killing people and ultimately ends up, um, you know, really landing on, you know, maybe having some strong thoughts about how things should be, but acting in really cruel and brutal and capricious ways to sort of see that person's, um, their will come out. So what 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 is the filmmaker's responsibility in a situation? And I really don't know. I'm conflicted about this. Well, so
2: here's my question. Did you feel empathy for him?
0: I did. I reluctantly felt empathy for him. I don't think beforehand that I would have at all, and I know enough to know that I was affected by watching that episode. Did you feel empathy?
1: I don't know. I don't know how much I felt empathy for Ted, but I did feel more anger towards the CIA than I did no towards Ted. Oh shit! Yes, so, that was
2: some fucked up stuff. Yes. Yes. Although the whole, we'll have to talk a little bit about this. Also, we want to let you listeners know. Hashtag spoilers. There's gonna be. We're gonna talk about the episode, so we're gonna reveal some of the content. So if you want to yes. watch it first and then come back, but um, I think the point is, um, well, not sort of building on your question. I don't know that it's been confirmed that was MK Ultra that what he was doing.
1: Yes. Has so it I, been? Because I, 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 I
2: looked some research up and I couldn't find anything that confirmed it. So did um,
1: you? Yeah. So I mean, just the Wikipedia article. If if you if you look up the MK Ultra Wikipedia article, it says. That Ted, that Ted Kaczynski was one of the people that is believed to have been associated with it and and Charles I think Charles Murray was right. the name of the almost That's almost almost yeah. almost guaranteed that he was involved in it yeah those Murray studies so now the the, the real quick the, the, the problem is in either 74 or se- somewhere between 74 and 76 the head um, John Dulles I think the head of the cia ordered the destruction of all records of right. mk ultra right and there's very little remaining so it's very hard even though everybody suspects that ted Kaczynski was in the study and charles murray was running this particular study right there is almost no documentation of anything because it was all destroyed in the
2: 70s right right i guess that was my point was yeah. like it's a it's strongly believed to be so but it necessarily hasn't necessarily been and so my my degree is in research psychology, right? My undergrad. Um, that makes it sound like I have a grad degree. I don't, but I'm just saying that. Um, <laughs> is in psychology. And the the human rights viol I mean, the violations, the test subject violations in that were mind-boggling. We just... The I it it was appalling what they did to him and everyone else, right? Like like what what he went through. Um, so the, I agree. Like that was kind of my takeaway. I'm like, this is so fucked up but separate from that because you know part of what he's doing within that episode is he's narrating taking him walking us through as, as as viewers through several key points in his life where there was this there was this quote unquote betrayal that happened to him i'm putting that in quotes if you betrayal where somebody betrayed him um and so it sort of made him it, it, it was positioning him as an as a person who had been done wrong by the world but i didn't buy that
1: right so, do you, Scott, do you know if do you know? So the scene, what she's talking about is a scene where, as a child, he had a friend, and then the friend decided to go hang out with a girl, and then Ted walked up on them, and they're like, "Oh, we have freaky Ted," and started yes. throwing rocks at him. So, which kind of which kind of set up, and then so it set up two things: one, it started setting up some sympathy for him because like he's being you know betrayed by his friends, and then it also established that he was a vindictive asshole as a child because he ended up setting up an explosion in class with this with right. this boy.
0: And so that didn't happen okay. that way. Oh. The, fil- what the filmmakers say, see, this is why I think this is very interesting, right? And including, so, so I'm going to get back and talk about the study and what we saw. Because sure. the study is abhorrent and egregious. But it's interesting what we saw in this episode, Ted. Um, but let's talk about the friend first. The filmmakers say that that's an amalgamation of stories that are designed to show you kind of what ted's experiences were like when he was a kid and the um the bomb that he supposedly like gave to you yeah, know set up along on as a note. in yeah. front of a friend is based on a story that, that ted kaczynski wrote when he was quite young and not necessarily reality. And there's nowhere that I can find going back to look where it says that Ted actually exploded an incendiary device in a like junior high school classroom. So those were both designed by the filmmakers to help you do what I think they felt was understand Ted, but by putting a whole bunch of stuff into a couple quick little narratives to try to give you a sense.
1: So that, with that understanding, it, it actually it actually changes what I what I was about to say, and it changes my opinion of that show overall. So there's there's another character in another movie that we're going to be talking about pretty soon, Joker. Mm-hmm. There's a really famous there's a really famous comic or trade paperback of the Joker called The Killing Joke, and the Joker's whole point in that particular story was one bad day. Anybody can become a monster if there's just one bad day that pushes them over the edge. Also, also a similar um, theme from the movie Falling Down. I was and, just thinking and, about Falling yeah. Down. So, I mean, it's 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 a concept that comes up over and over and over again. And on the one hand, the filmmakers, re- the for this show, really tried to push this idea with the with the MK Ultra study that it was one bad day that pushed Ted into being the Unabomber. But then their caveat to that was, well, he, or the counter to that was, well, he was also uh, well, on his way to being a serial killer as a child, and if that aspect of it was completely manufactured, then I don't know what they're trying to say. It's like you can't have both of
0: those. Right. I mean That's some of what I was thinking when I was watching. Is it? It feels to me like the the filmmakers. And again, so I'll, yeah, I'll come back to my question. It's like, what's the responsibility in this? Because if if the art doesn't, if the if the, you know the art doesn't have to worry about what anybody else says about it, then the filmmakers don't have any responsibility. They can do whatever they want. But if he's sort of this like maybe autistic or on the spectrum or something kind of kid who really can't read and understand what people are thinking about him, that causes problems for, for him. And if things happen that way and he sets an incendiary device, you could, you could sort of look at it and have kind of one kind of idea about him. If you look at what they set up as these Harvard MK Ultra studies, you might go, "Oh, that's the thing that triggered." Like he was sort of this way, and that kind of pushed them, you know, over the edge. Or is it something else that you know that just sort of comes along? With? Maybe it's the sense of isolation that he has, where he's just so far away. You know, they have him sort of like he fantasizes, not in a real sexual way, but he fantasizes about this woman in town who's a librarian. So there's no way they could know if that actually happened or didn't happen i suppose unless he probably said so but even that is sort of designed to to say at one point he says you know it wasn't supposed to be like this i think that's the last line of the episode is ted saying it wasn't supposed to be like this and he's sleeping with a bomb that he's just made under his bed right so the filmmakers are like i don't think they quite know what they wanted to do with that episode either
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I I mean, I think they did. I think they were trying to um I think they were actually going at it a little bit too directly in some ways. And but it wasn't a it was one a single episode. I think it was probably ran the runtime is about forty-five minutes. And and I think what's what's difficult is that they were showing us these moments where they I think they did do do a very good job of showing us his social isolation. And he was narrating about these moments he felt were kind of pivotal in his life that kind of pushed him to be so alone. But there's this one moment within towards the end of the episode where he, uh, where he's been invited to the birthday party. He, he clearly has made this connection with this young boy. It's, it's the son of the librarian and the, in that, that, that kid is just desperate for this father figure. And it's kind of like, come to my party. And Ted's like, I don't, I don't know if I can And the kid is, you can tell, just like wants this connection. And, and Ted, sort of, it, it becomes this sort of dueling thread within the narrative of him being like, am I going to go to this birthday party, which is symbolized by the the invite, or am I going to build this bomb? So at some point he's like, he's like, I'm going to go do this other thing, right? And so he has, he has that little birthday card and he wraps up that present and he walks over and he looks inside and, and that's the part, like Ted Kaczynski as a young person suffering with social isolation, isolation. I feel, I felt really, intensely about that which is why i don't watch a lot of dramas i felt very sad for him it was very crushing to see someone isolated as a young person who hasn't been supported and doesn't have the skills but by the time he is walking up to that door he is a grown man and it is his job as an adult to get over himself right so when he's looking at himself in the reflection and he's looking at this kid and then he decides to not go inside at that point it's all him it he is totally responsible for that so i was like Pull up your goddamn big boy pants and go inside and make human connections. But you're the one, no, they didn't push you away. They didn't betray you in any way. They wanted you there and you chose to not be. So by the end, I think they were trying to say like he almost, but he could by the end, I wasn't, I was, I wasn't buying that part, right?
1: So so to answer your question from my perspective, filmmakers, artists in general have the same responsibility everybody does. T- tell the truth as best as you can, tell the truth. And you might be wrong, and somebody might come along and tell you why you're wrong, but at that moment, do the best you can to tell tell the truth. And from what, I I don't know a lot about Ted Kaczynski, I've never studied him, but just the little bit I've been reading to to prepare for this, um, ultimately, ultimately besides just manipulating the audience, they also didn't honor the subject they were talking about. Ted Kaczynski, um, he never felt any contrition, never showed any contrition for what he did. He, in his mind, regardless of how, regardless of how that mind was manufactured, in his mind, he had a, a argument and he had a purpose and he had a reason for doing what he did. And the way they frame the story, the way they told that story, takes away his agency and absolves him of any responsibility. Um, he had he had his manifesto. He had a reason for doing what he did. And they're trying to say, and they're trying to say, well, he he could have gone a different way. Maybe.
2: Also, could have all of
1: us. He chose he 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 to the point where when he was getting ready to stand trial, he refused to let his lawyers make an an insanity argument, and he ended up pleading guilty to all the charges Mm -hmm. to avoid even anybody even suggesting that he was crazy. Um, Whether or not he was crazy, whether or whether or not he had a diagnosable mental condition is is debatable or even if he did what that actually means, but he clearly, he clearly had agency. He had an agenda and he was fulfilling it. The best thing to do is to show that even if it gets uncomfortable, show that so that we can evaluate what the truth that what we think about the truth and not try to mix these uh, mixed messages. Cause uh, at the end of the day, all, all we ended up watching was fantasy.
0: Yeah. And here's another thing to think about too. At the time, That this episode, this fictional episode, maybe based on some, you know, the the letter that he wrote his brother is another amalgamation. Like, that's not actually a letter that he wrote his brother. That's pulled from lots of different things that he wrote, but it is sort of cobbled together. So they try to make it sort of feel like almost one day he sits down. It's like it's almost the one day thing, but going the other way, almost like Ted Kaczynski could have pulled himself out of this. But well, let's not forget, by this time in the narrative, he's already killed people, maimed people, sent the bombs out. I mean, he's down the road. If we're supposed to believe that he had the opportunity to be a good guy, I would have wanted to felt that he had the, the opportunity to be a good guy before he started sending the bombs out. Like, after the fact, he just doesn't get a pass from me. It's right. like, yeah, okay, you help a kid with his mask. Great, maybe that makes you feel a bit, a little bit better about yourself. But you've still killed. I think what killed two people, three, you three. Know, injured. I think a dozen. Yeah. And you know, put a bomb on a plane at one point. It just didn't happen to go off. So you know, this is like not a good guy that we should be feeling at that point in his life.
1: Empathy or sympathy for? Yeah, I think so. I think they were trying to show a diamond in the rough. They were trying to tell a diamond in the rough story. Like you see, all you see these feel good stories every once in a while on Good Morning America, where the homeless guy was found and taken in and given a makeover, and turns out he has like a world class singing voice. Mm-hmm. And and if somebody had just appreciated him, he would have been okay. If if Hitler hadn't failed his art class, right, I mean, there never would have been. It shifts
2: uh, the blame know. on society to yeah. like yeah.
1: And while society has some blame, you know while there is some blame to shift onto society at yep. the end of the day. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, Some at the end of the day, people still have agency and still can make their, their decisions and their choices.
2: So. I just, I thought it was curious too, because in that this idea that they, just given what you've talked about, about the other episodes, why they threw this one in, like what it served that larger narrative to have that be part of, part of it. I think they, uh...
0: I think they honestly, of course it's on. I'm talking, so I'm telling the truth. Of course it's on. <laughs> I think they wanted to put the brakes on. I think they wanted to do eight episodes instead of seven. And, like, they, because they were sort of a critical point. Like, they, the, they get to the point where the FBI is just about going to, to, like, they know where he is. They've got surveillance on the cabin. Like, all of that stuff is happening. And then... You come back in the next episode and it's slow and the FBI is not in it anywhere. Oh, I see. Okay. And it's just, and I think it was just, it's actually kind of a nice dramatic device to just sort of change it up, surprise us a little bit, you know, don't have any of the FBI agents in it, whatever. So I, I actually kind of appreciated that, but it's really a well-structured episode and it, it's really, it's quite beautiful. And yeah. I'm I found just it not up. sure that it was genuine or true
1: correct in in that sense it's very it would be very similar to the band of brothers episode private blythe all of a sudden you have this one episode out of nowhere talking about this character that had nothing to do with anything else in the show wasn't really referenced later on in the show just like we're just going to stop and talk about this one random story yeah it sounds like i haven't seen oh you should see Band of brothers that's phenomenal
2: huh i don't know if i can handle it it's, it sounds intense. I mean, I, it is. I mean, it is intense. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure about that. But I so, but I do want to touch upon this idea that about the truth of something, right? And and we had talked about that being sort of its own separate podcast, separate, you know, just talking about it, covering a lot of stuff. But if we look at it from from a writing perspective, we have this this form that we call creative nonfiction, which is this premise that you you stick mainly to the truth, but you take some creative liberties, and so you're putting it in the world, saying this is close almost based on a true story but not quite and 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 i and i think that's an important space for us to hold as as creative people and artists and so so in that sense like for me part of i don't want to universally say no that isn't something you should do because an amalgamation is something i would use as a writer like i would i would summarize some childhood experiences and maybe put them together as one and so that that i think isn't inherently problematic
1: right but are you but is the creator using that device to highlight the truth or to misdirect people from the correct. truth? and that's and that's the distinction
2: well and and i would say correct right like like the intention but i felt i think it could be argued that they felt they were giving the truth that 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 he is like he did blow people up but he also had this other part that wished for something different that doesn't necessarily mean it's false
0: Yeah, there's a Native American saying that is something sort of loosely, that's like, I don't know if the story that I'm about to tell you really happened, but I know that it's true, right? So there's a way of doing that. But I think that for me, I'll weigh in on what I think, the responsibility of the filmmakers in this case is to at least understand that there are going to be a lot of people that you can be doing your creative nonfiction But there are going to be a lot of people who walk away, and this is going to be their narrative of who Ted Kaczynski was. And I guarantee there are people um, who are sitting around dinner tables saying, did you realize that when he was a kid, he blew up this incendiary device? And, I mean, they should have known back then that he was – and that actually turns out to be something that's not true.
1: I think I'm starting to rub off on you. Because we've we've had this discussion several times over the last few months, and you and that's usually the point I make, and that's usually when you say you're wrong.
0: You no, know, you know there's there are some fine lines on some of this stuff, and like I remember I got like really sort of up in it over the movie Fargo, which I really like the movie Fargo, but at the, you know I think the beginning of the movie Fargo it says something like based on a true story, and everybody starts saying like. Wow, that was such an interesting case that happened with that car dealership in Fargo, North Dakota. And it's like, it's not a true story. It's not even close to a true story. It's based on an idea of something. And I think that the Cohen brothers actually were kind of playing with that a little bit, sure. right? I mean, that was, they were throwing something out that entirely didn't happen, and they had everybody believe it.
1: I, history buffs uh, a channel on YouTube it, it's great channel for this kind of for this for that very topic and they, they did an episode that he talked about Fargo and that it was it was not true right but
2: I mean there's I'm watching this new uh, TV show um, Sunnyside which is one of the new NBC comedies and um, I won't go into the plot of it but at one point they're 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 theoretically teaching each other history right and um they're playing this game about um figures in history and they're trying to make it fun so they're doing it as like um they're doing it as a game where like you get the clues and you have to guess who it is and at some point it's Tyrion Lannister right and so like who isn't history it's all made up right it's purely fiction right it, I think there's something interesting that, that happens game with, of yeah, yeah that was a game no, of thrones yeah
0: yeah i right. didn't get that but i
2: i nodded because I, <laughs> like, I you guys like you you guys didn't want to look like you didn't yeah. know what the, i wanted you to think i was cool i was like come on Tyrion. you guys know right <laughs> Tyrion lannister um and there are there's something about the experience of art particularly filmmaking which is a very visual experience tv that does feel real like uh, like certain things feel like they happen and and so so people will sometimes, so there are people in the world who I have heard. <laughs> I have heard tale of people in the world who wanted to know at what period in our history Game of Thrones happened, meaning they wanted to understand where it fit into our timeline. 1347. <laughs> right? When did we have dragons? When did we have, so, so I'm only saying that in a sense that like the ability to parse story from history is, is not something we're particularly strong at as humans that's why story exists we can confound people very easily so we do have a duty as humans to sometimes track out track down the truth which is maybe separate from the duty of filmmakers to be true i would say perhaps potentially
1: yeah okay to the to the to the little old lady that was calling the coast guard asking them when they're going to rescue those seven people off the island true story gilligan's island there, there were people that were legitimately concerned that people were stranded on an island.
0: Wait, I thought that was a documentary.
1: You're saying? Yeah. I just thought that
0: there was an eighth person there with a camera. I
1: mean, I mean, you're right. Like people have, like people have an obligation to view everything they see critically, yeah, and and to evaluate it from it. And and I don't I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but Americans are terrible at that.
2: We're not great.
1: Um, and that's and that's really unfortunate. We should we should watch everything critically. So, um. But you also can't fix stupid. No, like, yeah.
2: So just one,
0: uh, really for me, just kind of one other thing to talk about in that episode. I mean, there's a lot more, a lot of directions we could go with it. It's quite an. I really would suggest people watch it, even if you don't watch the just whole Just watch series. that one episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting episode and a lot to think about. But the let's not call it MK Ultra study, but we'll call <laughs> it that Harvard psychology. What are they going to do? Come
2: after us? Yeah. You know,
0: that's that's an interesting sort of piece of this because it's set designed and shot and lit in such a way to make it appear to be like really horrifying. I mean, it's very, it's got sort of a very clockwork orange sort of, yeah you know, where Alex does. is strapped in the front of the theater and like, you know, they've got Ted in this episode, you know, he's strapped in, but they don't really know what it looked like in there. And so, here's another way of thinking about that question, right? It's like, we probably at this table, knowing us, would agree that like those studies were horrifying, right? Um, And so the filmmakers are really going out of their way to sell the new word here, horrifyingness, of those studies by the use of angles and lighting and how they edit it and all of those things, when they really there's no footage that that exists that they can look at. I think there. I think I read somewhere there might still be some transcripts, but there are no. There's no footage of that. So, um, so what do you think about that? When it actually then bolsters something, because we all agree that it's horrifying. When it bolsters the horrifyingness, then does the filmmaker have a different responsibility at that point? They can't really know what happened. They know that when people watch this, they're going to buy that it basically happened that way because we know that's what people do. Could should the is their responsibility to just say, sorry, we can't really show you what the room looked like on the inside because we've never seen it. So you just have to guess. Or do they make believe, turn it into something else, and then convince us that it happened in a certain way?
1: Right. Well, it goes back to what I said earlier. You do your best to tell the truth do the research look at people that have said they went through that stuff and try to recreate as best you can and the audience has to look at things critically and understand that it's not going to be a point for point recreation of of a real event it's going to be it's going to be a going uh, to have some creative license to it but just, but if just try to tell the truth what what i won't accept is when people when somebody might say well, it's, it, you can't ever completely tell the truth. You can't. You can't recreate something exactly. So then everything is fair game. We can we can throw dragons in there. How do you? You can't know dragons were not in there, so we're just gonna throw throw dragons in the room. And that's that's uh, obviously I'm being hyperbolic, but that's you know like Bohemian Rhapsody was crap because it just like we're just gonna we're just gonna tell you whatever story we feel like.
2: Oh, interesting. So that was one of your challenges with that movie because it was not as sort of
1: like they didn't have they, fidelity
2: to. to... Yeah,
1: they, they abandoned any any claim to truth. They're just like they, they were more concerned with sticking to the musical biopic formula than actually telling Freddie Mercury's story.
0: Hmm. Do you think there's a difference between being honest and being truthful and being honest?
1: uh i'll stop my head no i would say that's a distinction without a difference
0: so so truthful might be factually truthful and honest might be more um emotionally yeah more sort of truthful to what was going on you know more i, I would see being honest about something maybe being more big picture truthful to, to me like truthful like if somebody tells me you know i'm telling the truth I like, I want the facts of what they are telling me to be true at that point. So that's, that's one of the things that got me about this episode a little bit is I think that they were kind of signaling that they were being truthful, but I don't think they were. I think they were trying to be honest about what they thought was going on with Ted. Maybe this might just be my sort of linguistic distinction, but I just don't feel like they were truthful and that there were enough places where they weren't truthful that it actually was deceptive and that they were using a deceptive technique to get me to try and see Ted in a way that I think they honestly believed I should see Ted. So there's, you know, I'm a little conflicted.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you that I think they were being, in, in this particular episode, they were being deceptive. And, and it's, it's problematic for me, particularly going back to that stuff we were talking about the scene with 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 the kid if the if the if their point of view was he had these experiences in college and that created him as a bomber, fine, stick with that. Right. But trying to have it both ways, um, I don't I don't understand what the I don't understand what point they were trying what they were actually trying to get at other than to make us feel a certain way to set up the next episode, presumably where he gets caught. Yeah. Spoiler alert, they caught the yeah. bomber. <laughs> So and I and I think that's I think I think they were more interested with and, and a lot of shows do this. They're like we want the audience to feel a certain way at a certain time. So we're gonna shift the story to push you into that feeling that way. And they're not really worried about the truthfulness of what they're saying. And they're I guess
2: just... and I guess because I'm not like I I guess I'm less interested in that. Like I should say I'm less interested in in the the accuracy of something, I'm, I am interested in the sort of emotional That's a great word. push they're trying trying to get at. So I, I guess I feel that less strongly. That, and, and I think partly because I trust other people to do that work. Like we, we live in a society, and I know like someone like you, Jeff, would like you're more likely to track down and like say like actually this is what happened, this and this. And and I and I engage with enough people who can be like no, I'm much more fanciful. So like I'm much more I I am interested in sort of the the amalgamations and the and the way. Um, of of sort of like building narrative that maybe is sort of a distortion a little bit of of what actually happened and i find that interesting
1: yeah my so my pattern if i watch anything that's historical or anything that says it's historical yeah as soon as i'm done watching it or sometimes halfway through watching it i will stop it i will go research it i will yeah, look it up because exactly. i want i want to know right um I want to know, before before I form opinions about the world based on this thing I'm watching, I want to know if what I'm watching has anything to do with the world I actually live in. Because nothing makes you look dumber than being like, those damn Mayans were terrible people because of what they did to those other Mayans. And you're like, oh, sorry, Mel Gibson's just an idiot making shit up.
0: I think that's a great place to leave this discussion.
2: And Mel Gibson, <laughs> that Mel Gibson is, is an idiot, is idiot making, making an idiot, shit yeah. up. That's so, actually the yeah, title yeah. of this episode. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, it's not Ted. Scratch Ted. Anna, can you change that? So, yeah. um, so. I thought this was fascinating. So, thanks for engaging and going down the road with me on this. Is there
1: anything else that you guys
0: have to say about the episode? Jeff had a very pointed cool
1: stuff. I, I think we just came full circle because Mel Gibson was in that movie where he was basically where he was the subject of MK Ultra. Which one? And, uh, oh what movie? It was a movie with Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Taxi driver? No, no, there was a movie like I remember the movie where he where he like they had his eyes propped open real big and they were doing experiments on him. Mel Gibson? Yes. This was an early early two thousands. I think
0: maybe now we know what happened to Mel Gibson. That explains a lot. MK Ultra MK Ultra. (laughs) So So what are you guys into? What have you been what have you been
1: looking at listening to this week? You got something? Um, so actually, I caught an episode, and I I'm, I don't I didn't look it up, but there was an episode on a documentary on Netflix, where, it, in short, I've been doing some research on gender equality in Rwanda, and it, it is absolutely fascinating. Hmm. What's it called? Yeah, what's it called? Well, that's the thing. I can't remember the name of the actual show. Like I was, we, we, I was, I was scrambling trying to turn off air conditioning and get lights out in will. the room. So we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> I, I forgot to, I forgot to look it up. But, but I, it, it was a springboard for me to look up some other stuff. And what's happened in Rwanda over the last twenty years is absolutely fascinating. Um, it's, it's, and it's really something. For, for example, um, Rwanda has, Rwanda has led for like thirteen or fourteen years straight. The number of female representation in parliament. They have they have some like six, 60 percent of the parliament is female in Rwanda. Hmm. And it's because of a, after the genocides in the 90s, it, where 800,000 people were killed, the the country was like 70% female. So they had so they they, they actually had wrote to. it into their constitution that at every level of government the representative body will be at least 33% female. So it's been really fascinating reading that and seeing what kind of effects that's had on that country.
0: You got anything this week, Renee? Yeah, I'm... You, I'm well, you've been in a writer's retreat. I have. So you've been under deep cover. I
2: don't know. I've been reading a lot, though. So um, I'm like the total opposite of Jeff. Like, I'm like, I have gone off planet. I am now reading... Uh, so I just read the novella All Systems Read by Martha Wells, and it's about an, an AI unit that becomes sentient. And it is... So hilarious! It's fantastically well done. It is um, one of those books where uh, you know, as a writer, I, I read a book, and a lot of times I feel like this, like sort of despair when I read something really, really good because you think, God, they're they're doing something so different from me. And and Martha Wells is a very brilliant writer who writes really, really entertainingly in that she writes really short sentences, but she just has this really great idea. The setup, this world, the world building is fantastic. And i think i'm like she makes it look like i could do it i could do it with martha wells i'm gonna go write all systems right like i'm gonna write an equivalent of that um so it, it was really exciting because most of the time i'm just i read a lot of good stuff and then i'm just depressed
0: i know you know i felt that way reading hemingway i'm like oh i could write this and then you know i sat down and tried to write like hemingway and um i'm like actually it turns out i couldn't no it's, it's
2: not <laughs> yeah and at the end of the day like martha wells i mean she she's a strong enough writer that she actually writes a lot of different ways but and, and and to write just like her would be to copy a very specific narrative the the AI names himself murderbot um and so it would be to mimic him much too closely it would be taking that character so it's not in that sense of character but I think what she she did in the story was she just found a great story and she just wrote it briskly got us right through all the action um through in just enough humor just a perfect balance it's like the perfect you can read it I read it in less than 24 hours go out there and read it it's great so
0: I um watched uh, with Anna this week uh, 3 episodes of a show on Netflix that was called um, UK Criminal United Kingdom and it turns out that there are there are three more sort of little seasons there's like Criminal Germany and Criminal Spain and Criminal Tanzania or something I can't remember What's the last one Probably not Tanzania <laughs> But um, I um, I have a secret man crush on on oh, what's his name? No, not David Tennant. No, from from Law and Order: Criminal Intent, and from uh, I can't believe that I can't remember his name. What know, sort Vincent of Vin- man crush do Vincent, you
2: have? Yeah, you...
0: Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio. So I have this like secret man crush on Vincent D'Onofrio, particularly in. Law and Order, Criminal Intent, and I love the interrogation scenes. So Criminal UK, Criminal United Kingdom, is all, it's three episodes, great actors in it, really good, including David Tennant is one of the people being interrogated in one of them. Oh, yes,
2: I saw previews for this. It's
0: very good. Is it good? I'm writing this down. It's really, really fun and interesting and not like super, super dark. And it all takes place in the inter- in and around the interrogation room, and that is um, it's just it was a really joy. So we watched the the United Kingdom version, and we will definitely circle back, even though it'll be subtitles and watched. Because my understanding is that Netflix produced these all basically in the same mode, but for different countries. So there are three episodes for each of these countries. So I'm looking forward to seeing like how Germany's is different, how Spain's is. different. Oh, I
2: love it yeah
0: so i think that'll be really fun that's what i'm doing tonight go watch it i'd love to know what you think okay good all right well this has been what the what we've been talking about ted the sixth episode of the uh manhunt Unabomber uh series and uh i really appreciate you guys both watching it and talking about it i know it's been on my mind so i think we had some interesting things to say
1: Thanks for listening. That was What the What. You can follow us on social media at, at WTW Popcast, and that's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
2: You can also email us at WTWPopcast at gmail.com.
0: And I just want to point out to everybody that that is Popcast, so we're talking P-O-P-Cast.
2: You can also find me on Twitter at SpecialFeather.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at TheBWFans and on YouTube, BandwagonFans. And this is Scott. I'm available
0: at Facebook and Instagram as Scott Grussell. So I'm Scott. Jeff. Renee. And this has been What the What? What the what? What?
2: What? What? What?